So here at Go Church, we've been walking through the most famous sermon of Jesus, often referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is telling us how to bring God's kingdom down to earth. And since God's kingdom is the heavenly kingdom, we could kind of say that Jesus is telling us how to have heaven on earth. Now, God's heaven, of course, has nothing to do with worldly pleasure, consumerist acquisition, or earthly achievement. But it does have something to do with inner peace, overwhelming joy, lasting contentment, all of which are available right here in the middle of this messed up, so messed up earth. And it's available here because Jesus came down here and he lived and he died and he rose again right in the middle of this messed up earth. He brought the up there down here. Aren't you thankful? made a difference. Nothing was ever the same after that. Today we'll finish up the introduction to this famous sermon of Jesus. These short pithy declarations regarding those who are blessed have historically been referred to as the Beatitudes because they are basically attitudes that God will bless. Let's briefly review by re reading through what we have covered so far. Matthew records in Matthew 5, when Jesus saw the crowds he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So, <clears throat> to experience heaven on earth, Jesus says we need to be poor in spirit, mournful, meek, righteousness starved, merciful, pure, peacemaking, and then to top it all off, Jesus says we need to be whacked upside the head a few times if we really want to inherit the kingdom of heaven. Verse 10 is our primary text for today where Jesus sums up this litany of strange blessings with the words, blessed are those who have been persecuted. He says, blessed are those who get knocked down by people with earthly power. Blessed are those whose life is a patchwork of adversity and difficulty. Blessed are those who are painfully mistreated. Blessed are those who lived through 2020 and all the sadness and anxiety that came with it. Blessed are the Chinese believers currently being imprisoned if they meet for church, or Christians in Canada right now for that matter. And blessed are we, even as we continue to be required to wear masks over our faces if we wish to keep meeting in this building. Surely that's not the kind of thing Jesus had in mind. Oh, isn't it? Listen, persecution comes in varying degrees. Persecution can be anything from a slightly squelched freedom to something torturous and everything in between. Let me just be clear that in our world right here, though we obviously haven't experienced the worst or anything close to the worst yet, Christians are experiencing more and more persecution some more than others. And right now the point is that those who have experienced the most persecution are the ones who are the most blessed. 
I guess we have it better than the people in Idaho after all. How to have heaven on earth is not what any of us thought it would be. According to Jesus, persecution is part of how it happens, which just doesn't seem right. This kingdom that we are to bring to earth seems anything but heavenly sometimes, doesn't it? Isn't this all just a little bit backwards? Years ago, the first time I preached through the Beatitudes, a man in the congregation got very upset. This man said something about me not knowing how bad it is out there, as if I were so sheltered from it. I think he thought I lived in the church building all week. I'm not sure. And he talked about all the injustice and the terrorism and he said, with the world going to pot <laughs> and people calling evil good and good evil, we've got to do something about this right now before we lose everything. I appreciated that honesty. But I assure you that I'm aware of the loss, as was Jesus, even as he promised the world to the meek and the kingdom of heaven to those who are persecuted. As you might imagine, that man wasn't the only one unconvinced. The message of Jesus is not only countercultural but counterlogical. And interestingly, at least this part of his message is not nearly as offensive to the world as it is often to the people of God. That was true when he preached it, and it is true now. Those who were religious hated this message, especially the introduction. They wanted to reject these words of Jesus and they wanted to point out how Joshua wiped out the enemy or how Moses plagued the Egyptians. Think about it. Who was the most offended by the message of Jesus? It would seem that the more committed someone was to religion, the more they hated the message of Jesus. Some things never change. And isn't it interesting that Jesus never tried to convince anyone about any of this? He simply stated the Beatitudes as truth and left it to the people whether to believe or not believe. One thing he did make clear, though, is that those who believe his words and who live out his words are his true disciples. John 8, 31. Those who ignore or reject what Jesus says are simply not his disciples. They just are not his. So, what about you? Last week was blessed are the peacemakers. And because of common misunderstandings and bad teaching that has sought to turn Jesus into a pacifist, I had to spend a lot of time on what Jesus did not mean. But I wonder if any of us really grappled enough with what he did mean. Are you a peacemaker in the way Jesus meant for you to be? No, seriously, listen. Are you a peacemaker? Is your favorite internet preacher a peacemaker? Peacemakers are the ones that will be called the sons of God. That's what Jesus said. Do you make peace? Do you get more upset when Christians attack each other? Or are you upset that more Christians aren't attacking each other more? How dare they be wrong? They need to be called out on the internet. Does that make peace? People hated Jesus because he wasn't condemning enough. That's the truth. Are you more like Jesus or more like certain preachers who think they're always right and most everyone else is always wrong? 
How exactly is it again that we are to bring heaven to earth? Jesus has been telling us, have we been listening? Back to today's text, Jesus said that those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness are actually blessed. And he said the kingdom of heaven belongs to them, not to those who have it easy and never have their freedom or personhood or worldview threatened. Do you believe Jesus? Or do you mostly try to avoid persecution and consider avoidance to be a heavenly blessing? By the way, in my American experience, persecution comes just as often from other believers as it comes from the world. Maybe that's just me. We know this, the greater your impact, the greater the opposition. And oh yeah, I almost forgot, Jesus said that's a blessing. Look at the sermon title for today. I don't know if it's on the screen, it should be there in your bulletin if it's not. Look at the sermon title. God's Majnik. How many of you have already figured it out? A bit cheesy, I know. But let's be honest, God's kingdom seems backwards. And the truth is that in this world, following Jesus will often seem like going in the wrong direction. Like reading from right to left. going to be the case with our text today. It's going to feel like going in the wrong direction. Let's get into it. In the eighth and final beatitude, Jesus said, blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. First, we need to remember what it means to be blessed. In part one of this series, I defined it like this, to have and to be everything you would want if you really knew what you wanted. So remembering that definition, applying that to today's text, Jesus is saying that you will receive what you would want if you really knew what you wanted by being persecuted. Wow. God's kingdom really does seem backwards to us. That is because most of the messages we hear in our world and sometimes even in the church are simply not true. And yet we have believed them, at least to a point. That's why God's truth sounds backwards. The world and our own inner voice tells us to spend our lives trying to avoid the pain and injustice of persecution. But God knows we can't and instead tells us how to be blessed through it. Now I want you to notice something important about these Beatitudes. Understand this. Those who live by the first seven Beatitudes are certain to experience the eighth. When you apply the teachings of Christ in this world, you will wind up experiencing persecution, just as he did. Why? Because you'll be like Jesus. That's what this is really about. You'll be more like Christ. And so you will be persecuted for the same reasons that he was persecuted. When you begin to actually follow Jesus, you will follow him right into persecution. There's no avoiding it, but Jesus says there's also a great opportunity to recognize the blessing right in the middle of the pain. Let's talk about what this means. For the sake of clarity, the remainder of this message will be separated into three sections. First of all, let's talk about the characteristics of persecution for Christ followers. What exactly was Jesus referring to when he talked about persecution? The Greek word translated into our word persecution is the word dioko. According to Greek dictionaries, this word is defined by phrases such as these. To put to flight. To drive away. 
to pursue in a hostile manner, to harass, trouble, or molest, to mistreat on account of something. Now the word picture, the original audience would have understood and pictured here, is the idea of being put to flight. That's what they would have envisioned when Jesus said it. We can see this in another verse about persecution where Jesus said, but whenever they persecute you in one city, flee to the next. To be persecuted then is to be unwanted. To be run out of town, shunned, kicked out of the cool kids club. To be put to flight. Often persecution includes much more than that, but the end result seems normally to mean that the person being persecuted is on his or her way out of the situation. He or she is being driven away, in this case, because of righteousness. Here's what I have to tell you. That's not all bad. The cool kids club is not all it's cracked up to be. Beyond this, to be put to flight leads right into the idea of being sent out into the world on mission for God. We are sent to some who may be more receptive even as we flee from others. Again, the most direct definition of persecution is to be put to flight. Paul listed some of his own persecutions in 2 Corinthians 11. I'm not going to read that now. You can check it out later. Starts in verse 24, 2 Corinthians 11. He just goes through some of the persecutions that he's gone through. But I just want to point out that the fact that after the Apostle Paul was uh, stoned uh, and left for dead in one town, he didn't go back to that town. He moved on. He flew. When Paul was whipped because of what he said in one synagogue, he typically moved on to the next. When he was imprisoned in one town, he normally fled to another town right after he got out of prison. We're not called to some kind of sadistic drive to keep going back to those who are persecuting us. As a result of persecution, Paul usually moved on, which is exactly what Jesus said we should do. The very word for persecution means to be driven away. So listen, Jesus is saying, blessed are you when you are driven away. Maybe this has helped shed light onto how it could actually be a blessing to be persecuted. Maybe it isn't always such a bad thing to be driven away from certain people, certain situations. I just believe somebody needed to hear that this morning. Jesus said, if one town won't receive you, shake the dust off your sandals in in protest and move on to the next. For us, that might mean moving on to the next person or the next group of people. Now, let me be clear. There are also times when we're called to stay, to endure, particularly when there is a commitment, uh, vows, uh, a calling. There are times we're called to stay, to endure. So don't try to make this universal. But when you're being persecuted for the sake of righteousness, sometimes you ought to take that as your cue to move on. The point is also larger in that this world is not our home. We're strangers and sojourners here on this earth. We're not home yet. And persecution is a blessing and then it keeps our hope in the fact that one day we will fly this place for good. Since persecution means to be put to flight by definition, it is temporary. One way or another, you won't endure persecution forever. The very word means you'll get away from it eventually. Maybe remember this way. Persecution means temporary pain on the way to the blessing of God. 
Now let's consider another characteristic of the persecution about what Jesus is speaking. Remember what he said, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Jesus did not say blessed are those who are persecuted for any old reason whatsoever. He was talking about persecution endured because of righteousness. We talked about righteousness a few weeks ago and the take home truth was this, righteousness is right standing with God. For so many reasons, I hope you remember that. Jesus is saying, blessed are those who are persecuted because of right standing with God. And how does anyone gain right standing with God? Friends, if there is one truth that is crystal clear and irreducible in the Bible, it is this. We gain right standing with God by faith. In the New Testament, we discover that righteousness is granted by God specifically through faith in Christ. And see, persecution over this very kind of righteousness, right standing with God through faith in Christ, is the subject of this beatitude. We are persecuted in this world because we have right standing with God. And they don't. We can see what Jesus is saying even more clearly. In the next verse, unlike the other beatitudes, Jesus spends a couple verses expounding on this one. Probably because he knows it will be the hardest to understand and apply. So in the following verse, Jesus unpacks this one by saying, blessed are you when, he expounds it on persecution, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. So in verse 10, Jesus says, because of righteousness. In verse 11, he says, because of me. We need to understand that these two qualifications are absolutely one and the same. You see, the only righteousness any of us have is because of Christ within us. This means that to be persecuted because of righteousness is to be persecuted because of Christ. And to be persecuted because of Christ is to be persecuted because of righteousness. Oh, how the darkness hates the light. It should be obvious, by the way, that Jesus is not saying, blessed are those who are persecuted for wrongdoing, or for unnecessary fanaticism, or for being annoying Christians, or for being a pain in the rear, or for being lazy, or any of thing else besides our righteousness in Christ. Understand in this dark world, righteousness creates conflict by contrast. Christ-likeness does not need to be flaunted to be confrontational. We do not need to seek persecution when following Jesus. All we need to do is endure it when it comes. I mentioned it already, but here's the entire verse. Jesus said, for everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. Newsflash, many people are doing evil to keep from tickling religious ears let me point out that many people are doing evil in the name of God. Evil does anything other than the will of God. Many are doing and saying things in God's name that do not represent Him well. Honestly, on both extremes of just about every issue. Misrepresenting God is equally as evil as any immorality you may want to name. Righteousness, however, is the opposite of evil, and it is lived out precisely by following Jesus, being like Him. Those going in the opposite direction of Jesus will first try to get you to join them, and when you refuse, they will hate you for your righteousness, which will often motivate them to persecute you in one way or another. 
The very nature of the persecution Jesus speaks of is that it comes from those who do not want their own darkness exposed and therefore would inflict emotional or even physical pain in order to drive away those who are walking in the light. They can't stand it. They want it removed or doused. Listen, the more you follow Christ into his righteousness, the more you will be hated and persecuted by those who are not following him into his righteousness. This takes us to the second area I want to discuss from our text, which is this, the certainty of persecution for Christ followers. Somebody guessed it. I'm guessing. How many of you like to try to fill in the blanks before I tell? Yeah, some of you do. I know. You're like me. The rest of you are like, what blanks? I didn't know you had their sermon notes. I don't... Secondary, the certainty of persecution for Christ followers. Another time Jesus said, when the world hates you, remember it hated me before it hated you. The world would love you if you belonged to it, but you don't. I chose you to come out of the world, so it hates you. Do you remember what I told you? A servant is not greater than the master. Since they persecuted me naturally, they will persecute you. Notice the absolute nature of what Jesus is saying. There's no wiggle room here. He does not say you might be persecuted He says, if you are my follower, persecution is absolutely certain. Take note, it is possible to face persecution without following Jesus. But it is not possible to follow Jesus without facing persecution. As it was for Jesus, so it will be for those who follow him. Another place the Bible says, indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Persecution is not something you can hope to work around as a follower of Christ. In fact, if persecution isn't happening in your life, you really ought to re-examine whether or not you are following Jesus. Here's a hint. To follow him, you will need to open your mouth. Jesus called us to preach his gospel in the world. Now, once more, when you open your mouth, make sure it is his gospel you are preaching, or else you may find yourself just as wrong as the Pharisees whose faithless righteousness was filthy rags to God, and no less so for their misguided zeal and passion. They were actually self-righteous, which led to them being the persecutors rather than the persecuted. Trust me when I say this is still happening today. But again, what are the odds of being persecuted if we actually follow Jesus in this world, 100%. Nobody knows this more than Christian teenagers, by the way, especially those who attend public school. And what are they told these days about such things as persecution? They are told they can't handle it. They are. Kids today are taught avoidance, avoid triggers, avoid pain. Never say anything outside the mainstream. Conform. Now, can someone explain to me how that approach works for someone claiming to follow Jesus? No. Following Jesus means saying and doing things that will lead to persecution. Once more, I will remind you also how important it is that we say and do the right things in the right way. That's another sermon. Right now, just remember that persecution is certain to come upon you if you follow Jesus. But also, don't assume persecution is the worst thing that could happen to you. It might even be the best thing that could happen to you, particularly as a young person. It might even change your life. Let's get to the best part. 
the rewards promised to those who endure the kind of persecution which we have now defined. Let's talk about it. Number three, the comfort in persecution for Christ followers. Because after hearing all of this, you could use some comfort. Couldn't you? Persecution means pain. Obviously there, are different, obviously, there are different levels of the pain we each will face for the sake of righteousness. Everything from taunting to torture in some places. None of it, none of it should be taken lightly. Persecution is injustice. And as such, it is not a good thing. Though God uses it for good in our lives, and that's what Jesus is saying. But persecution is painful. Partly because by its very nature it is wrong. And it is undeserved. It is unjust. Persecution is serious and it harms people. Therefore, when one of us goes through persecution, we should be there for each other. Never make light of it. We're talking about being punished for being right. Being wronged for being righteous. And since there's no way to stop this from happening on earth, I'm so thankful for the promises Jesus made. Thank goodness Jesus did not say, out of luck are the persecuted, for they say they will not didn't expect to get jack squat. Thankfully, Jesus didn't say that, but rather he promised us a blessing in this life as well as the heavenly kingdom for eternity. Now, briefly, there are at least three ways we can find comfort through persecution as followers of Christ. First of all, we find comfort in persecution's purpose. Find comfort in persecution's purpose. No matter the source of the persecution, God uses every tiny bit of it to make us more like Jesus. The Apostle Peter put it this way. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also, get ready, with the same purpose. Because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. It helps you get the sin out of your life. So as to live the rest of the time, the time we have, I have less time than I did yesterday, I don't know about you, to live the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for the lusts of men. Oh, freedom. But instead for the will of God. What a, what a goal. To live no longer in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. If you read your Bible... You know that this principle of growth through pain and difficulty comes up frequently. There are many, many verses telling us that God uses pain in our lives, whether we bring it on ourselves or others bring it, or even if the Lord brings it, regardless of the source, that God uses it to grow us and mold us into the people he wants us to be. In our text today, we see this is true of persecution's pain in particular. This is what Jesus means when he says, blessedness will come to those who are persecuted. He's talking about growth. Jesus is talking about being helped in our journey to become more like him, which is what the Beatitudes are all about, becoming more like Jesus. And again, the issue of whether that's encouraging to you or not probably is an issue of whether or not you know what you really want. The truth is that no blessing on earth could be better than to be made like Christ, who is perfect. Perfectly at peace, perfectly joyful, perfect. This is what you would really want if you really knew what you wanted. To be like Jesus. On a corporate level, the historical fact is that persecution has always been a good thing for the church of Jesus Christ. 
take away persecution, the church tends to stagnate and fester into something unlike what Jesus had in mind. Take away persecution, the cross becomes a lucky symbol rather than a painful reminder of the price of our sin. Perhaps the first time this happened in history could be traced to the moment when Constantine, the Roman emperor, made Christianity the state religion and ended the persecution of Christians. At that moment, the church took a nosedive right into the Dark Ages. Before Constantine, we know that there had been several hundred years of horrible, painful persecution in the church, mostly coming from the government, by the way. And we know that in the middle of that horrible persecution, the church nonetheless thrived. Very early in those days of persecution, we read things like this. But Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house, and dragging off men and women. He would put them in prison. Therefore, those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. The fact is that the church multiplied exponentially all over the world because of persecution. The more painful the persecution, the more the gospel spread. Like it or not, the church of Jesus Christ thrives under persecution. When an earlier Roman emperor, Nero, set out to murder every last Christian and also to destroy all of their copies of Scripture, right in the middle of that horrific time, the church may well have hit its peak in terms of impact. God's kingdom is backwards. But we don't really need to look at ancient history to see this principle at work. You know where the church is thrumming with spiritual power right now? And I'm talking about conversion rates never before seen in history. Places like China and Cuba and in such unlikely places as North Korea, even certain Muslim nations like Iran are experiencing massive evangelistic movements. Often wherever persecution is the worst, the church thrives the most. By the way, when you see articles that talk about how everyone is supposedly leaving the church, don't believe it. Listen, the true church never leaves. Less people may be attending a certain type of church, particularly here in America, but I say again, the true church never leaves. Nobody's actually leaving the church. People who would say they're leaving the body of Christ, the church, were never actually part of it. They may have attended a church service somewhere, but they were not actually part of the church of Jesus Christ if they claimed to be leaving it. The fact is that the church of Jesus is actually growing like crazy all over this planet. That's a numerical fact. Sometimes believers from other nations come to America can't understand the church they see. Maybe some people are leaving that. Eugene Peterson writes, It is interesting to listen to the comments that outsiders, particularly those from third world countries, make on the religion they observe in North America. What they notice mostly is the greed, the silliness, the narcissism. They appreciate the size and prosperity of our churches, the energy, the technology, but they wonder at the conspicuous absence of the cross, the phobic avoidance of suffering, the puzzling indifference to community and relationships of intimacy. The phobic avoidance of suffering. Ouch. The truth is that whether we are talking about the church as a whole or individual believers, persecution is often the catalyst for growth. So what if there is no persecution? 
spiritual growth is the purpose God finds in persecution. Maybe this is why the American church is mostly just a bunch of babies. Maybe the rise of persecution here, even just the little we've experienced of late, can actually help us grow up. I really do find comfort in this understanding and persecution's purpose. Even in some of the things I've been griping about related to the pandemic. Secondly, we can find comfort in persecution's prestige. The writer of Hebrews tells us we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, spiritual heroes who've gone before. When you face persecution for your faith as they did, you start being counted with that prestigious company. And what a great honor that is. Let's be reminded of how it was for the early disciples. Luke records the council, and this is a council of Jewish religious leaders who rejected Christ, called in the apostles and had them flogged. Then they ordered them never again to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. The apostles left the high council, rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus. And every day in the temple and in their homes, they continued to teach and preach this message, the Messiah you are looking for is Jesus. Did you notice that they were rejoicing? in their persecution. I just can't help but say, would, would, would we? Would we be rejoicing? Can you feel it on your back? This was not a little slap on the wrist, flogging. They were beat half to death. And they rejoiced. These men had a maturity in their faith to know what it meant to be blessed. They knew what they really wanted. But are we like them? Did you know the Bible specifically states that when we do suffer persecution today, that is in these latter days, we are counted in the company of these great apostles and also the prophets of history? I find great comfort and encouragement in that fact when persecution hits. But I also wonder if my persecution has ever been severe enough to count. That's just me being honest. Thankfully, Jesus talked about other kinds of persecution besides being arrested or beaten or things such as that. Look back again at what Jesus said immediately after he spoke this eighth beatitude in verse 11. He continues, blessed are you when people insult you. Oh. Check. and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Maybe my persecution counts after all. Do you see it? The truth comes out from the phrase in the same way. Jesus wants to offer us some comfort, even joy, in persecution's prestige. He says, listen, when you're knocked around because of me, rejoice. Because at that point, God considers you in the same way as he considers the prophets. When you experience persecution for the sake of righteousness, that means you are now counted as a member of the A-team. I mean, this is when you know you're the real deal. One of the blessed ones. Someone the Lord will remember in the same way as the prophets and spiritual leaders of old who are now celebrating with Him in heaven. I want to ask you to make this personal. Listen, when you are persecuted for standing for righteousness with Jesus, 
maybe already in the, in the past, the last few days, in the last few years, or maybe it's about to happen. Can you just grasp this truth that you in that moment would be counted with the heroes of our faith? Put my name in there with them. If it takes persecution, that's a pretty good motivation. Now, why did Jesus tell us this? Why would he use a word like rejoice? Because being counted with this prestigious company means something. It means something great. And friend, it means something for eternity. I love the way one commentary put it. Those who suffer because of their loyalty to the kingdom of heaven are blessed by being bound more closely to that kingdom for which they suffer. Or as King Theoden put it in the Lord of the Rings, I go now to the halls of my fathers in whose mighty company I will not know shame. Remember, Tolkien, who wrote that, was a solid follower of Jesus. Biblical principles are intentionally hidden throughout his works. The older I get, the more comfort I find in this. To be counted among the ranks, even of the prophets and apostles. Is it possible? There's comfort in persecution's prestige. Finally, there's comfort in persecution's promise. This point's gonna, not going to take a whole lot of explanation because Jesus is so straightforward and clear on it. Look again at verse 11 where our Lord and Savior said, Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Your reward in heaven is great. Those are not my words. Those are the words of Jesus Christ. Jesus says, not only are you going to be blessed in this life through persecution, as God uses it to make you more like me. Not only will persecution mean that you're counted with the people of great faith throughout history, but beyond all that, you will absolutely earn a great reward in your heavenly eternity through persecution. As if heaven in general were not going to be enough. Jesus promises even greater rewards based on the persecution we endure for his sake on, in this life. We don't know exactly what this reward could be or, or how rewards even work in a place that's already perfect, but we do know that persecution carries with it a promise from the lips of Jesus himself, the promise of a great reward in heaven. It's really very simple. If you believe Jesus, you believe every bit of persecution that is afflicted upon you here is earning you a great reward in heaven. So do you believe Jesus for this promise or not? If you do, you will become, you, you, you'll, you'll begin to welcome persecution into your life, at least to some level, if you really believe this. If you believe that, isn't it worth it? Persecution is always painful, especially because, by definition, it comes from doing what is right. And you know it hurts extra, it hurts extra to be hurt for doing right doesn't it? And sometimes it may seem like persecution will go on forever, but it will not. No, in fact, what will go on forever is the great reward which this persecution is earning for you. So here's my last little take-home truth for you to remember. Persecution is temporary, but heavenly rewards are eternal. 
know that sounds kind of basic, but I believe this truth from Jesus will really help you when it hits. If you can remember, the next time you face any level of persecution for the sake of righteousness, just remind yourself, persecution is temporary, but heavenly rewards are eternal. It's as simple as that. Next week, we'll be moving on from these introductory beatitudes into the body of the Sermon on the Mount. Kind of something cool next week you won't want to miss. Object lesson. Hope to see you here as we continue to sit at the feet of our rabbi, Jesus Christ. I think he had something to teach us, don't you? Would you pray with me? Lord, even as I have preached mostly to those who would claim and seek to be your disciples today, I also know that many times there's folks in the room who have never truly put their faith in Jesus Christ in the first place, have never decided to be his follower and made that, had that moment. It's just, it's just this moment between us and you when we have this spark of faith and you have this incredible response of rushing in with your grace and Many of us have a testimony about when that happened, but some of the folks in this room maybe don't. And God, I just pray that today maybe it could be that moment for someone. You're waiting, you're ready, knocking on the door, just ready, Lord. And I, I believe that you, you're not willing that any should perish, that you're wishing and hoping that, that everyone will come to repentance and come to faith in you. So whoever it is that's here, God, that, that hasn't yet, Lord, right now I pray that you would, as you draw them, they just respond with, okay, yes, I'm in. I want to be one of Jesus' disciples. I want, to, I want to be saved. Put my faith and my trust in who he is and what he did on the cross and that he rose again. I just know that that's where I want to put my faith for eternity, my hope for, for my life, that I could have peace with God through faith in, in his son who died on the cross for me. And Lord, I just pray for that person that maybe if this is the moment that they would understand what an unbelievable thing just happened. That today can be their birthday in you. That their life will never be the same. That, that you're going to come in and, and, and move and do things and change things around to make them more like Jesus over time. I pray for that person that they'll let me know and let, let others know so that we can help them and talk to them about next steps and, and move forward. And God, I just thank you for the people that you've led, led to that moment over these two and a half years since we planted this church and the testimonies that we have and the, the people that that has happened for them as a part of this local church. God, I give you praise and glory for that, for that fruit, for those people who, because of the testimony of this church, because of your word, and because of what they've experienced here, have given their life to you. There's nothing better than that. So, Lord, as others do that, please, I pray you'd help them to let, let us know so we can rejoice. Lord, for the rest of us, God, give us strength to face persecution. Lord, we may be in for heavy doses of it, more coming. We may have only seen uh, kind of the birth pangs of that. Um, help us to be ready. Get us ready um, to see that differently than we would have if we were not informed by your word and indwelled by your spirit. 
Let us be real, solid, true followers of Jesus Christ. I pray that anybody who says they're part of Go Church, that when they're out there, that people would be like, I don't know, something different. They really do follow Jesus. God, make us a strong church, not just a bigger church, but a stronger church. And uh, use us to make a difference in this hurting, dark world. It's in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to Go Church's weekly sermon podcast. If you enjoyed the sermon, be sure to rate and review us. If you want to learn more about the ministry of Go Church or catch up on previous sermons, check out our website, www.gochurchpnw.com. You can also connect with Go Church on Facebook and Instagram.